Amen. We're going to open up to John chapter 8 this morning. John chapter 8. Only going to read one verse, but uh, we are going to be drawing attention to other verses around this one and throughout various parts of Scripture. And so I think you will benefit uh, from having a Bible open uh, before you and, and throughout the sermon and turning and seeing some of these things for yourself. Hopefully there's one in the pew in front of you if you didn't bring one. Encourage you to open that up. John chapter 8, verse 12 is our text, page 1062 in the Pew Bible. John chapter 8, verse 12. Hear then God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's far the reading of God's holy word. Dear congregation, uh, last week, Aaron and I were on vacation, uh, and we were on vacation down in, down in Mexico, Riviera Maya, and uh, one day, as you often do on these trips, Aaron and I decided we were going to go on an excursion. And uh, the first excursion we went on was swimming with sea turtles, and halfway through that excursion, it hit me that I had been on that exact same excursion in that exact same place about 15 years ago. It's kind of funny. Didn't remember that at the time. Uh, the second excursion that we went on uh, was a new one for me. We went swimming in a cave. And um, we were in that cave with a guide, and he was kind of taking us through the cave, and he was teaching us about the cave as we swam through it, and we got really to the, to the deepest part of the cave that we would enter on this little tour, and when we got to the deepest part of the cave, he, with warning, shut off his flashlight. And when he shut off his flashlight, it was pitch black. When he shut off his flashlight, we were surrounded by utter darkness. There was no light getting in anywhere. And in that moment of absolute utter darkness, you realize very quickly just how dependent we are on light. And this brings us to Jesus' second I am statement. We looked at the first I am statement two weeks ago. The first I am statement is I am the bread of life. The second I am statement is I am the light of the world. And as we consider this second I am statement, we'll consider first the context, second the meaning, and third, the application. Those will be our three simple points. The context, the meaning, and the application. So first, the context. I want you to notice where Jesus is when he makes this second I am statement, and you'll see it in chapter 8, verse 20. In chapter 8, verse 20, we read, these words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in 
the temple. So Jesus is in the temple, but specifically, Jesus is in what's called the court of women, okay? Uh, The temple was made up of various courts. The outermost court of the temple was the court of the Gentiles. That's as far in as the Gentiles could come. The next court in was called the court of women, and that's as far in as women could come. Sorry, women. Uh, I don't know who you can take that up with, but if you want to take it up with somebody, I'll let you decide that. But that's as far in as women could come to the second court. And the treasury that John is speaking about, the treasury was located in the court of women. And this is important because during the Feast of Booths, or, or the Feast of Tabernacles, as it's sometimes called, something significant happened in the court of women. Okay, the Feast of Booths, it was the, it was the seventh and the final feast on Israel's calendar. It was something of a harvest festival, and because it was the last feast on the calendar, it kind of over time turned into the greatest and most significant feast on Israel's calendar. The Feast of Booths lasted seven days, and on the first day of the feast, three 75-foot-tall candles were built and were lit in the court of women. And it's said that the light from these candles was so bright that every night of the feast, the entire temple would be lit up by their light. So, so there was no darkness at all in the temple during the Feast of Booths because of these giant candles. Now, these giant candles had a purpose. These giant candles were meant to remind God's people of how the Lord guided the Israelites in the wilderness long before. You remember, I think, how the Lord guided them. The Lord went before the wandering Israelites in a cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. We read that in Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22. And so each and every night of the feast, After the sun went down and darkness set in on Jerusalem, the flaming candlesticks in the court of women would have called the people's attention to that momentous time in Israel's history when the Lord led them through the wilderness in a cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. Interestingly enough, on on the last day of the Feast of Booths, These candles were were snuffed out in dramatic fashion, and and silence is said to have followed in the temple as, as the people looked forward in hope to the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that God would give his people yet another light, a light for the nations. That's Isaiah 42, verse 6. Now, if all that isn't enough, just simply noticing that Jesus said these words in the court of women. Look what we read at the beginning of chapter seven. Look at the heading in the ESV Bible. The heading is, in the ESV, Jesus at the Feast of Booths. If you're in the NIV, I think it's Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles, but it's it's the same feast. And that's, that's what's going on in John 
chapters 7 and 8, and maybe even 9. In these chapters, Jesus is in Jerusalem specifically for the celebration of the Feast of Booths. There's more interesting things to point out. You see this little note in your Bibles before chapter 8. I think it's in there. Yeah, it's in mine. It says in parentheses before chapter 8, the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 7, verse 53, through chapter 8, verse 11. And because of this, and I don't want to spend a lot of time digging into that, but because of this, uh, many commentators and scholars, even some conservative reformed commentators and scholars, believe that this story of the woman caught in adultery, it probably doesn't belong here. It's not that it's not biblical. It's not that it's not inspired. It's just, it's just probably out of place at this point in John's gospel. And if that is the case, okay, if that is the case, then that would mean we are still on the last day of the feast as noted in chapter 7, verse 37. And that would mean it's, it's very possible that Jesus said, I am the light of the world the moment those candlesticks were extinguished on the last night of the feast. Now, even if we, even if we leave the woman caught in adultery where it is, that only brings us to the next day. Uh, after the feast was over. And, and no doubt the image of the candlesticks would have still been at the forefront of people's minds. And, and really, any way you slice it, Jesus' point here is, is clear. When he says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I am the light that went before the Israelites in the wilderness. It's me. I am the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. I am the light here with you in the flesh. There's yet another aspect of the context I want you to see. Look at what happens. Oh no, I untied my shoe again. I've done this before up here. Really need double knots. I coach basketball and we always have to stop to have the kids retie their shoes and you think I would learn to double knot my shoes before I preach, but who knew preaching could be such an active endeavor? Anyways, where am I? Another aspect, yes, of the text I want you to see. Uh, look what happens in John chapter 7, verses 40 through 52, okay? John 7, verses 40 through 52. In these verses, there is a dispute among the people regarding Jesus' coming from Galilee. Look at verses 40 and 41, chapter 7, verses 40 and 41. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ supposed to come from Galilee? And then down in verse 52, the Pharisees are getting a little critical of Jesus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus' defense. And look at how the Pharisees respond to Nicodemus in verse 52, chapter 7, 52. Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. So in these verses, there's, there's a dispute among the people regarding Jesus' coming from Galilee. The Pharisees keep saying, listen, the Christ is to come from Bethlehem, not Galilee. We see nothing of Galilee in the scriptures. And yet the reality is they actually didn't look hard enough. Scripture did say something about Galilee. Turn with me to Isaiah 9. I'd love for you to go there with me. See it for yourself. Isaiah 9. 
Isaiah 9, this is what we read, beginning at verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. And then look what he says is going to come from Galilee in verse 2. Light. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. We go then back to chapter 8 of John. The people argue about Jesus' home in Galilee, and they say, search the scriptures. You'll see for yourself, no prophet comes from Galilee. And, and shortly after this, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And once again, the point is clear. When he says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, no, no, you're wrong. The Old Testament did speak about Galilee. It told you that a great light would come out of Galilee. I am the light. I am the one who makes glorious the, the, the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. I am here with you now. There's a third part of the context I want you to see. There's a lot going on here. There's like three different threads that Jesus is all sort of tying together here. And it's, in, it's actually in regards to chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. So even if this isn't supposed to be here, I would say that God, in his sovereign wisdom, he puts all the pieces together and his grace is sufficient for us, right? Absolutely. In chapter 8, 1 through 11, this woman is caught in adultery. And if you read that story closely, you would almost think that Psalm 27 was written with this woman in mind, okay? If you read the story of the woman caught in adultery closely, and I would encourage you to do this on your own later, you would almost think that Psalm 27 was written with this woman in mind. I'm going to read a few verses from Psalm 27. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I've asked of the Lord, and that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Listen, if you, if you read those words in light of chapter 8, 1 through 11, you would think those could be her words. Psalm 27 could be this woman's testimony. Evildoers assail her. An army encamps against her. But the Lord hides her in the day of trouble, and the Lord lifts up her head, and the Lord sends her away with the command to worship and serve him. Interestingly enough, do you know how Psalm 27 begins? It begins with this profession of faith. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And when that story of the woman caught in adultery is followed up by these words of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world, once again, the point is clear. Jesus is saying, the psalmist was right. 
The psalmist was right. I am your light and your salvation. And once again, the point in all this is the same point I made two weeks ago. All of Scripture is about Jesus. All of Scripture points to Jesus. All of Scripture tells us about Jesus and finds fulfillment of Jesus. Jesus is the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night in Exodus. Jesus is the great light from Galilee whom Isaiah spoke about. Jesus is the one the psalmist spoke about. It's all about Jesus. Boys and girls, never forget that, okay? Impress that upon your heart again today. If in 50 years you remember this pastor you had one time when you were a kid named Pastor Dirk, if you don't remember anything else he ever tells you, remember this. He told you that all of the Bible is about Jesus. As my friend once said, Jesus is on every page. He is. And just in this one saying, I am the light of the world, he shows us how he's on like 32 pages, right? Let's consider second, the meaning, the meaning. What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the light of the world? Well, once again, just as he did when he called himself the bread of life, Jesus here is speaking metaphorically. Jesus here is using physical categories to teach us in spiritual realities. And this is what Jesus means, most simply. He means, I am for your soul what light is for the world. I am for your soul what light is for the world. And so let's just think about what light is for the world. Light is, light is revealing, isn't it? Told you about our swimming in the cave. Told you about the guide shutting off his flashlight. Told you how it was pitch black. Now think of this. When the light was off, we didn't really know anything. We, we remembered some things, but we didn't really know anything for certain. We, we didn't know who we were with. People could have come and gone. We didn't know what the cave looked like. We didn't know the way to get out or, or where we came in. When the light was off, we were pretty ignorant of the truth. But when he turned the light back on, the truth was made plain. We could see who we were with. We could see what the cave looked like. We could see the various rock formations and such. We could see the exit, thankfully, for this somewhat claustrophobic individual. All right? Light reveals. Jacob, Jacob found this out, didn't he? In the dark, Jacob went to bed with who he thought was his new life, Rachel. When he woke up in the morning and the lights came on, behold, it was Leah, one of the greatest lines in the Bible. Light reveals. Light gives knowledge of the truth. And so it is with Jesus. Jesus reveals the truth about God. He says to Philip, whoever has seen me, Philip, has seen the Father. In the light of Christ, we see God for who he is. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Jesus also reveals the truth of our sin. John 3.20, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his work should be exposed. 
In the light of Christ, our works are exposed. In the light of Christ, we see our sin for what it is, and we sense the condemnation we deserve because of it. Jesus also reveals the truth of our salvation. It is Jesus who said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It is Jesus who says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, these are not things we can know apart from Christ. There is no knowledge of these things in creation. There is no knowledge of these things in other religions or in human reason. It's only in Christ that we come to know the true God and of his mercy for sinners at the cross. Light is revealing, and when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I am the one who reveals spiritual truth to your heart and to your mind and to your soul. I am the one who imparts to you an awareness of your sin and a saving knowledge of God. It's me. I make these things known. Light is also life-giving, right? When we were swimming in that cave, there was no vegetation on the bottom. It was just sand and rocks. And we know why that is. It's because, it's because there wasn't enough light getting into the cave. And without light, vegetation can't grow, right? Vegetation needs light. Visiting with a guy some years ago, he, he was a hay farmer. I said, hey, what's the secret to a good crop of hay? He said, oh, water and light. Oh, wasn't that much of a secret, was it? Of course, in that regard, we, we, we too, we need light to live, don't we? Because, because never mind that we'd be miserable without light, we'd be ignorant of truth without light, we wouldn't have food without light. Light is life-giving, and so is Jesus. In fact, we, we can't miss the connection John makes in his gospel between, between his light and life. We see it at the end of our text where Jesus says, whoever follows me will have the light of life. In John 1 verse 4, the apostle writes, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Light is life-giving. And when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, I am the one who gives life to your soul. I am the one about whom it said he was dead in his transgressions and sins, but, but God has made him alive in Christ. Light is also guiding, isn't it? Think of those days of old when people got where they wanted to go by means of the stars in the sky, even the wise men, right? Found the Messiah by following the light in the sky. Believe it or not, boys and girls, there was a day when there was no Google Maps, when there were no paper maps even. That's how people got where they wanted to go, by following the lights in the sky. Light is a guide. Light helps us head the right direction. And so it is with Christ. The psalmist knew this, didn't he? That's why he said about Christ, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's saying, he's saying, I'm the one who shows you where to go. I'm the one who shows you how to live. I'm the one who will put meaning and purpose and direction in your steps. Light is also securing. 
Why do my kids insist on sleeping? Not Adri, she's, it's not her. Why do the little kids insist on sleeping with the hallway light left on? Why, why is walking down a, a well-lit road at night more desirable than walking down an unlit road at night? Because there's, there's safety in light. And so it is with Christ. What did the psalmist say about Christ? In peace, I will lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's saying, he's saying, I'm the one who's with you. I'm the one who watches over you. I'm the one, ultimately, who enables you to lie down and sleep in peace. Light is also, light is also purifying. UV light has been used for decades to reduce the spread of bacteria and to kill various viruses, right? There's a purifying aspect and quality to light. So it is with Christ. Titus 2, verse 14. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. When Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, he's saying, I'm the one who purifies you from unrighteousness. There's probably more that can be said, but, but what does Jesus mean when he says, I'm the light of the world? Well, he means he is for our souls. What light is for the world? Of course, lying beneath all of this is the truth of who we are in our natural sinful condition. Because in our natural sinful condition, we are what? We are in darkness. Isaiah 9 says, apart from Christ, we dwell in a land of deep darkness. It's not talking about Michigan in February. All right? Although this one's been somewhat sunny, I saw in the news yesterday. But nevertheless, not talking about Michigan in any month of the year. Isaiah there is speaking about our spiritual condition. Apart from Christ, we dwell in a land of deep darkness. There might be sun shining round about us, but in our souls, there is darkness. There is gloom. In Luke 179, Zechariah says that apart from Christ, we, we sit in deep darkness. And in Ephesians 5.8, the Apostle Paul says that apart from Christ, we, we are darkness. Think of what else Scripture says about us in our natural sinful condition. It says we're, we're spiritually ignorant. That's Ephesians 4.18, Romans 1.21. It says we're dead in our trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 1-3. It says we're lost in this world, Luke 19.10. Think of these things, ignorance, death, lostness. In my mind, those things are all associated with darkness. They all kind of go together. And so when Jesus says here that he is the light of the world, he's saying, I'm the cure for your fundamental problem. I'm the light who dispels the spiritual ignorance in your heart. I'm the light which gives life, life to the deadness in your soul. I am the light whereby the lost sinner is found. I'm the cure for your fundamental problem. And this is, this is illustrated plainly in the very next chapter. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. Right before Jesus heals this man born blind, if your Bibles are open, you'll see what Jesus says in verse 5. He says, as long as I am in the world, 
I am the light of the world. And then he heals the man of his blindness. And as the story goes on, the the point becomes clear. This man born blind, he is all of us. Spiritually speaking, we are all born blind. Darkness of soul is our natural native condition as descendants of Adam. And yet Jesus is the light of the world who can change that. And Jesus does change that. He changed that for this man. Jesus changes it for us too. I want you to see this man's confession later on. You can just listen if you want. The Pharisees are drilling this man about what happened to him and about who Jesus is. And they say, tell us, is this man Jesus a sinner? And this is how the man responds. John 9 verse 29. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know is this. I was blind, but now I see. As the kids say, if you know, you know, right? That's the confession of all who've been born again. It's the confession of all who've trusted in Christ alone for salvation. If that's not your confession, if what that man says in verse 25 doesn't resonate with you, I suspect it's because you're still blind this morning. You're still lost. You're still dead in your trespasses and sins. You're still dwelling in a land of deep darkness. And as such, your soul's in great danger. Actually, it's even worse than that. Your soul is on the precipice of hell. But here's the good news. Jesus is the light of the world who can change that. Jesus is the one who can open the eyes of your heart. He is the one who can dispel the spiritual ignorance in your soul. He is the one that can give you life. He is the one that can make you who are lost found. Jesus is for the soul what light is for the world. And that leads us then to the application. And the application is quite simple. Follow the light. Follow the light. That's what Jesus tells us to do in the last half of our text. After he says, I am the light of the world, he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Follow the light. You've heard the phrase, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We use that phrase metaphorically to refer to our coming near the end of a long ordeal, but, but the first use of this phrase can be traced back to a newspaper in England written in the year 1867, and the first use of this phrase was anything but metaphorical. It was about a train accident. Two trains collided head-on in a tunnel. As you can imagine, it was an absolute disaster. There were many, many casualties. But after the trains collided, there was so much dust and so much debris and so much steam that the survivors who exited the train didn't know which way to walk to get out of the tunnel. And the newspaper article said that it was only after about 30 minutes that they could finally see light at the end of the tunnel and began to walk towards it. Of course, that's what you do when you're in darkness. 
you walk towards the light. And Jesus here is saying to us, to a people who live in a land of deep darkness, to a people who are native to the kingdom of darkness, to a people who left to ourselves sit in darkness, I am the light of the world. So walk this way. Come this way. Follow me. And guess what? You'll no longer be in darkness. Follow me and you'll have the light of life. Follow me, and you'll be saved. And notice Jesus says, Jesus says he's the light. He's not a light. He's the light. That means it's him, and it's him alone we are to follow. It's him and him alone who can lead us through the darkness and out of the darkness and into the light of God's salvation. There are no other lights Contrary to what modern man might say, there is no light of reason. There is no light within you. There is no light in other religions. There is only light in Christ. He is the light of the world. It is in him and him alone that anyone will ever say, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It is only him who can lead you out of the dark tunnel of sin and separation from God and into the light of salvation. And of course, the reason it's him and him alone who can do that is because it's him and him alone who entered the darkness on our behalf. Isn't that something, what the gospel writers tell us? That while Jesus hung on the cross, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, that is from noon to 3 p.m., darkness, came over the whole land. So it's a wonder of wonders. On the cross, the light of the world entered the darkness of sin and judgment in order that he might deliver sinners like us from it by suffering the wrath of God in our place. Interestingly enough, there's only one gospel writer who doesn't mention the darkness. You know who it is? It's John. Matthew mentions the darkness. Mark mentions the darkness. Luke mentions the darkness. John doesn't mention the darkness. Why is that? I'm not entirely sure, but I do wonder if it has something to do with what John says in the first chapter of his gospel. Because in John chapter 1, verse 5, John writes this about Jesus. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's, it's almost, almost like John, ever so subtly, wants us to recognize that even on the cross, the darkness did not overcome the light of the world. And of course, this truth will be made plain abundantly three days later when the light of the world rises from the dead. But I return to the application. Follow the light. Let me ask, are you following the light? Sometimes even Christians get off track. 
Even Christians will, will find at times that, that lo and behold, it turns out they, they haven't been following the light. They've been following something else, maybe the sinful desires of their heart, maybe, maybe their politics, maybe the gods of this world like comfort and ease, fortune and fame. I found myself even having to repent of this early this morning as I prepared for the sermon. Because even though I can't pinpoint exactly what I followed this past week, I had to confess that I don't think I followed Christ very well. The busyness of life crowded out my time in God's word and prayer, and even as it did, I I could almost sense in my soul that I experienced less of the light of life than I had previously. I could almost sense that, that darkness was sort of creeping in again. Okay, it happens even to Christians. And so I ask again, are you following the light? Are you believing in the Lord Jesus? Are you trusting his grace? Are you obeying his word? Are you experiencing in your soul the blessed promise of our text that he who follows Jesus will not walk in darkness, but will have, will have in their soul the light of life. May God help us follow Jesus. Let's pray. Our great and awesome God, we thank you for your word. And even more than that, we thank you that the people dwelling in a land of deep darkness have seen a great light. Father, we know that's only by your grace. It's only because you have have sovereignly penetrated the depths of our souls and given us new life in Christ. And for it, we praise you. Help us to follow Jesus. Help us to experience the light of life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.